Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. On all the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo right here, 17 blocks away from Madison Square Garden in New York City. Now, tax the rich, tax the rich, tax the rich. That's all you hear from AOC. That's all you hear from Biden, the Democrats. That's all that's coming out of Washington is one tax hike over another. Nobody seems to appreciate $6 trillion in tax hikes, all sorts of trillions. One day it's one point this, one point that. The latest number I heard was six. Who knows? I honestly can't count that high. I've never counted to six trillion, but I can tell you, I don't like paying taxes as much as the next guy. That's why I've always supported a flat tax, a fair tax, uh, anything but the progressive tax system we have. Now, you would think, what's up with all this tax talk? You don't usually get into that. And I'm not really going to. To me, this is the bigger question of why. Why is it that we do these things? Why is it that we're interested in the least in – raising taxes and destroying the rich in order to to do that. And obviously it's it's because they have more money, right? So they have more money then great, let's go for it. That's how the the marxist thinks. And the reason I say the marxist is because this is truly like out of their playbook. Now, I was talking to somebody this week and I guess they heard it somewhere on talk radio, so this is not uh original to me. This is decades old research but he brought up the the distinction between marxism and how marxist socialism or marxian socialism and the socialism of fabians the fabian socialism and the differences between the two and i figured you know what it's worth talking about because you've got people that are marxist but you've got some that fall into to the Fabian's school of thought, like uh, Saul Alinsky, in my opinion, would fall more into that because, well, basically, these subtle uh, differences that lie in the two is the idea that both Fabians and Marx believe that capitalist systems of economy were the chief cause of common people's misery, right? And this is... um, from politicalsciencenotes.com and I thought this was an interesting distinction. However, Marx insisted upon class struggle, that it was class struggle that was the intensification of this problem and that's ultimately what would lead to the overthrow of capitalism and of course the establishment of any dictatorship and proletariat, etc. So according to this, Marx is the only way of emancipating the oppressed people. But the Fabians school of thought feel that the collapse of capitalism that they were um, not so keen on in their approach 
was that more and more members of the society, the Fabian society, that is, wouldn't really uh, care for that. So their idea was that they didn't need this revolution that Marx talked about. And what they needed was to take over academia. Marx and Engels didn't pay attention to the setup of an organization for the intensification of their movement. So the primary focus for the Fabian Society was in the classroom. They interpreted history by applying dialectical materialism, which is also called materialist interpretations of history. Blah, 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 blah. This is... um. You know, it's very verbose, so I don't want to read you everything that's in this article, but I do want to kind of pick out the nuggets that I think are most important because the Fabians, again, argued that in their version of socialism, not the Marxist sense of socialism, but theirs, the importance of the state would gradually decline, but it wouldn't necessarily wither away. What appears from their arguments is that the state is in the ultimate position, but only as far as you could keep it intact. And of course, Marxism allows things to implode on themselves. So I just thought that was an interesting uh, distinction. And we'll get more into that as we move forward. But it was always interesting to see these different schools of thought, even differences of opinions amongst socialists. Speaking of socialists, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, all out crazy, our least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens who I love to criticize. Now, listen, I don't care about AOC being a woman. I don't care about AOC being a bartender, nor do I say she's an unintelligent sinvergüenza, you know, a shameless socialist Democrat. Yes, that she is. Bueno, que se yo, what do I know? My criticism of good old all-out crazy AOC is really of her policies because I think they're bad for America. So I'll keep critiquing her policies and doing impressions of her voice, you know, um, Tax the rich. And of course, I'm not mocking her. That is uh, my impression of her. May not be a good one. But despite knowing that I might get a visit knocking on the door of the police trying to come and see me, I'm still going to do it. And what's interesting is yesterday, last night, actually, I got a, uh, I guess, a Twitter message. I don't know if those are called private messages or direct messages, whatever they're called, from a buddy of mine out in Houston. And he tells me, uh, did, did you open the door? And I'm like, what? And then he sends me a link. And the link is to an article. And headline, podcaster receives a visit over alleged AOC threat. But there's more to the story. But wait, there's more. That's <laughs> what it sounds like from TV. A podcaster said that he was harassed by two police officers at his home in California and accused of threatening Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. On Twitter, a claim that he calls outrageous and provably false. The Twitter user who goes by the hash, the um, handle Queer Alamode is demanding answers from police and Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez on why he was tracked down at his home on Thursday. He said the experience left him, quote, shaken up and feeling very unsafe in his own home. Now, a spokeswoman for Congresswoman AOC says that they did not request the investigation. Now, you got to be careful with these spokespeople for Congresswoman AOC because at one point I remember uh, Team AOC, her spokesperson, was tweeting all sorts of things at me, the F-bomb and this and that. And before I could even respond to it, they um, went ahead and took it down and tried to delete it. Fortunately, the Washington Post – or excuse me, the Washington Times uh, had a screenshot of that and the New York Post did as well and they published it. And you could Google that if you want to see it. But the point is you can't trust these people as far as you can throw them. 
And this is what the spokeswoman said. Uh, her name is Lauren Hitt. She told Fox News, no, we did not report him. We asked the Capitol Police last night to look into what happened here, and they're awaiting information. The Twitter user, at Queer Alamode, does not list his name anywhere on the profile, but describes himself as a co-host of two podcasts. But the user uh, also posted a letter about the incident from his purported employer, Mafic LLC, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get into that. But they identify this guy as Ryan Wentz, which this employer claims to be uh, or is labeled as Russian state-affiliated media. I don't know what that has to do with anything. It seems like the media trying to put a little spin on things. But anyway, the user tweeted, and from here on out, he's known as the user, this guy, Queer Alamode, Mr. Wentz, as an anti-war activist who has a program called Soapbox. Now, apparently this guy does a podcast. He says things about anti-war, blah, 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 whatever. The point is this podcaster is not me, so I'm happy about that. <laughs> and there's no cops coming to see me. But what's interesting is that this guy tweets at AOC something about, you know, criticizing her for whatever, and he gets a knock on his door. So he's like, yo, what's up with that? I thought we were in America. How is something like that even possible? But it goes on. In his Twitter posts, blah, 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 he says, I shouldn't be harassed for by the police for critiquing her politics. I agree with that 100%. I don't even know what this guy stands for. I don't support him in any way. I don't know him. But I will say... He should be able to say whatever he wants, barring anything that endangers her safety or anything like, you know, the, the usual things. But if he wants to say her Green New Deal sucks, it's killing jobs, her and job killer Joe, El Baboso Biden, are destroying the energy sector with the Green New Deal. Great. It's a scam. And, and they should be called out for the scam that the Green New Deal is. But the Capitol Police said that the reason that they really got into this was because this guy was tagged in a tweet by somebody else who did threaten AOC. So I'm thinking, let me get this straight. Some whack job who does something, some whack jobbery, and decides that he's going to, at Rich Valdez on Twitter, all of a sudden I should expect the California Highway Patrol or the New York State Police or New Jersey State Police to come knocking on my door? That's absolute insanity. But that's what happened to this guy. Now, the Capitol uh, Police further uh, clarified that the podcaster came on their radar, radar not for the tweet that he made, on Ocasio-Cortez's Israel policy or anything else that he wrote, but rather the Californian was tagged in a tweet by another user that was deemed threatening. I think this is totally messed up. I mean, I guess the police do have to do whatever investigating they have to do. But you do, do you know how many times, and I'm no big deal. I'm not, you know, uh, a Mark Levin of a Dan Bongino, one of these guys with, you know, very big followings. I get tagged in stuff all the time, all sorts of crazy things. I don't even look at it half the times because I don't have time to get back to all of these people. I work and I have to read all this stuff. So, you know, I find it just really it's somewhat of a shock that this is actually how things happen. But like I said, look, I will continue to critique her uh, at the danger of uh, – the uh, Gestapo, and I don't want to trivialize anything that ever happened in the Holocaust because actually that's something AOC just did. Um, so when I use the word Gestapo, I did use that, I guess, in poor taste. Uh, but I don't want any um, military or police or paramilitary officials to come and visit me because of my political opinions. But AOC, she did decide to um, trivialize that which happened in the Holocaust and in very poor taste, worse than my slip up right now. <laughs> she actually went uh, a lot further with it and I'll let you hear it in a second. But she actually really compared the, the four years of the Trump administration to what happened under Hitler. And I mean, you've got to stop and take a second and say, well, what's up with that? Because in Israel, two days ago, they celebrated three days ago. They celebrated um, 
I don't know how to say it in Hebrew, but it's basically Holocaust Remembrance Day. Uh, we celebrated uh, at a different time in the United States, but they celebrated that in Israel. So there was a lot of talk on on Twitter, lots of articles, lots of commemorations. And you know, it's interesting that she makes these comments um, so close to Holocaust Remembrance Day. And now that she's been in office for three years, she finally decides to sit down with uh, certain Jewish organizations in New York. And and she still hasn't met down with the New York Board of Rabbis, my colleague here, uh, Rabbi Joel Potasnik. But she did sit down with one group, and I'll get to that in a second. But I want you to hear what AOC had to say on this podcast. Check this out. The moment where people say, how did all this happen anyway? Like, how did people just allow this, one of the most, one of the greatest horrors of the 20th century to just happen right under their nose? The fact that that we even ask that question shows that we do not educate on our history in a way that gives people the tools to lead and and be in community. Because I think that's one of the things that was so scary about the last four years is that we, if you've studied this history, you should know how. And you should know that it begins with casual bigotry, that it begins with the increases of that, with the it's just a joke. And then it hits a certain critical volume where it starts to just turn into actual large-scale dehumanization and a dehumanized attitude towards Jewish communities and now also, as we see, Asian communities, Black communities, etc. And once you hit that cultural dehumanization, that's when you start getting to um, actual laws that start to reinforce bigotry and that's when you also start to see translations towards violence, both stochastic and just everyday people and the increases of these uh, violent incidents and state-run and structural, like what we saw at the border. And so these things are all connected. These things are all connected. And to go back to what I mentioned in the um, opening part of this segment, as you listen to what she's saying, she's using a lot of rhetoric uh, to propagandize her position, right? So she makes these comparisons to the Holocaust, to the loss of life that's estimated around 6 million people. Five people died in the uh, quote-unquote insurrection that had nothing to do with Trump, but they want to pin on him. The only one that was actually a homicide was someone that the Capitol Police shot. The other people all died of natural causes or heart attacks. And that was the biggest thing that Trump did so bad that in his last week of of being in office, they decided to run another scam impeachment. So that's the extent of what uh, Trump did, right, that they tried to nail on him. Yet AOC takes the six million Jews that were slaughtered by Hitler, firing squads, ovens, gas chambers, and she thinks that's okay to compare. Now, I get it. I used the term Gestapo before because I feel like these cops go into this guy for talking about AOC in a podcast, while maybe um, not the best reference, was definitely fascistic and heavy-handed. And I think that's the point I was trying to make. But by no means am I trying to uh, do what AOC just did. For anybody saying, but you just made that reference, I don't think they're in the same category at all. I would never try to make these types of comparisons, but that's what AOC does. And going back to what I said in the open, 
it's one of those things where the Fabian Society, right, the other than Marxist uh, socialist, they felt that there were other things other than a revolution that the Marxists were ready for. And AOC does a lot of this stuff. If you notice, the revolutionaries wanted to take over the government, not from within, per se. They would fight them and there would be a junta and there would be, a, a, you know, an overthrow, a coup. That's not the case. The Fabians believed that they didn't, they didn't really uh, imagine any revolution because they felt that Marx pinned too much hope on that. So they felt that reforms, parliamentary initiatives, governmental legislation, the active role of the political and social institutions based on democratic values and principles, and above all, people's consciousness, wokeness, according to Fabians, were the most effective weapons to reach socialist goals. So I submit to you that it is the Fabian school, the Fabian society idea of socialism, that's really what took, um, and of course they built on what Marx and Engels did. Uh, So no question, these are all Marxists. But those that uh, ascribe, subscribe to to Fabian's school of thought, those are the ones that want to get in from within and change things, to use the government to get to their goals, to use the system to destroy the system. So I want to get into this piece about AOC and what's happening with uh, her claims, crazy claims of white colonialists and European colonialists and white supremacy. But I feel like that's a horse that's dead and I'm beating it because you guys all know about her and I don't want to bore you with AOC. I know nobody wants to hear about her, but I think she's important to look at because if we don't look at AOC, then what? Right? Then we we get suckered by what she has to say. So keep it uh, locked right here. I know how to talk, I swear. Keep it locked right here. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. All right, welcome back. Bienvenido. That's DMX. Rest in peace to the homie DMX. He uh, died. And there's a lot of different stories that are going on. Uh, you know, DMX a New Yorker and died right not far from uh, where we uh, from one of our underground command posts where we work, at least where I work in the evening. And what I find fascinating about this, and it really does fascinate me, two things. One is it was originally reported as a drug overdose. And I get it. That happens. You know, lots of people, Whitney Houston, uh, lots of people, famous people have died of drug overdoses, Michael Jackson. So it, it doesn't necessarily come as a surprise if a famous person, a musician, dies from a drug overdose. I get that. I really do. What's interesting, though, is that the family is coming forward now saying that the only drugs that he had recently taken was a COVID-19 vaccine. Now, I'm not here to spread any type of conspiracy theories because I think that's, in effect, what this is. I have no proof that any of this stuff is um, a genuine scenario that, you know, he took a vaccine and now he's dead. Of course not. I have no proof of that. Neither do they. But there is this piece uh, that I saw that suggests that asking, you know, did DMX take a COVID-19 vaccine before this heart attack? One of the rapper's family members uh, says that the drug overdose 
was not necessarily the case, that it was just a heart attack from being 50. And again, that, that could or could not be true. But I think it's um, one of these things that we have to really maybe not dismiss out of hand, but not take for gospel truth, but look at and continue to look into things. See, I think propaganda like that can really mess things up. And propaganda is one of the things that blew up the whole George Floyd thing and, and BLM overall, right? I mean, you had this this one guy who fights with the cops after he tries to rob a store or rob the store, Michael Brown, Ferguson, Missouri. And uh, then this one woman, uh, Patrice Kahn, I think she's married or compound name uh, Patrice Kahn Colors. By the way, with the compound names like AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Patrice Kahn Colors, I don't have a middle name. And, you know, I would love to have three names. I really would. I just don't have one. And uh, in Spanish, this is very popular, right? This is actually how you introduce yourself. You use both your parents' family names. So, you know, it, it, the American style is just Rich Valdez, and I have no middle name. But, you know, let's say I was in Puerto Rico or in Spain or one of these it, – it's very common to say uh, Richard Valdez de Garcia, you know, my mother's last name uh, or maiden name. So I think that's um, – you know, I might start go by, going by – R-V-G, Rich Valdez de Garcia. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Anyway, um, Patrice Khan Colors. This is a big thing because it was reported first on a real estate website that said that this $1.4 million home was sold to one of the founders of BLM. And people are like, what's going on with that? There's a big reaction to that. So now I'm looking at this piece on Revolver News and it says BLM is a profitable organization and they are raking in the dough. According to the New York Times, just one Black Lives Matter online petition rakes in $5 million in contributions. The death of George Floyd in Minneapolis has been a gold mine for BLM and other black rights groups. The New York Times piece above goes on to explain that progressive and racial justice groups have seen a flood of donations since Floyd's death. As a matter of fact, those infamous bail funds alone have garnered 90 million bucks. Wow. I heard about that. I didn't know it was the bail fund specifically, but I heard about the $90 million number. And matter of fact, I believe George Floyd's family, I think his dad, said that he started an organization to uh, prevent future deaths like the one that his son went through. And BLM was like, nah, we're not giving you any of this money. And he was like, what? I'll sue you if you don't give me some of that money. And there's like a whole uh, contentious legal situation there. So anyway... Between Floyd and the defund the police, so much money has been pouring into the BLM coffers that they've actually had to redirect donors to other causes. The reason for the cash overflow is that rich celebrities and woke corporations are donating huge sums at an alarming rate. It's easier for liberals to just wash away their quote unquote white guilt and score some progressive brownie points. As it stands right now, BLM is so filthy rich they don't even know how exactly they became that cash rich, but they did. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. 
Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. And if they have figured it out, they're definitely not telling anybody. So where's the money going? Many people figure that it's going straight into the Democrat coffers, and they're probably right. But there's more to it. A curious new purchase by BLM co-founder Patrice Khan Colors is now calling into question just how those BLM riches are being spent. Ms. Khan Colors purchased uh, herself a swanky little $1.4 million California home in a city called Topanga, just outside of Beverly Hills. Now, the big story here, at least uh, that Revolver points out, is this. Topanga is an elitist white neighborhood where only 1.4% of the population is black. It's rather interesting and rather sudden, of course, that Colors is able to afford a million-plus-dollar home, and then she opts to buy the home in a rich white neighborhood. Apparently, all that quote-unquote white supremacy and oppression can be erased for the small one-time fee of $1.4 million. And this is, again, in, in Revolver News. Now, there's a, been a lot of response to this on Twitter. There's one tweet here from Quinton Blanton. He says, Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors just purchased a million-dollar mansion. She pimped the murders of black folks, especially black men and boys, to get that mansion. BLM founders are after the bag, meaning the bag of cash. They don't care about black people. That's why it's time to purge. This is, a, by the image here, a black guy. It goes on. The outlet, Black Media Daily, has also taken issue with the home purchase, saying that with BLM growing in presence and financial power, Ms. Con Colors was called out on the carpet for what some are saying is an act of grifting off of the black strategy for financial gain. Due to disagreements over the, the way the organization's being run, co-founder Alicia Garza and Opal Tometi have split from BLM. BLM is imploding because this lady bought a mansion, is what they're suggesting. I'm not saying that to be a matter of fact. I'm not a news reporter. I am a news commentator. So I'm going to give you my commentary on the news that I'm reading to you because I think this is pretty insane. Now, the purchase of this $1.4 million home has gotten her into more hot water. People are questioning how and why she's shelling out so much money for a house. And lots more tweets. Here's another one. For somebody that claims to love black people, it's kind of strange that she chose a place to live that's practically devoid of black people. Another one said of her cashing in on BLM that she's capitalized on the injustice against black people. So damn sad. This is blood money, charge another one. Only after the bag. Patrice Kahn Colors created the BLM hashtag in 2013 after George Zimmerman was acquitted. And it's been all gravy since then. BLM has grown into a corporation and a money-making machine with no end in sight. As long as there's strife, angst, and plenty of black victims, the money will keep pouring in and people like Patrice Cullors will keep getting rich. If all that outrage goes away, elites like Patrice won't be able to live in swanky white neighborhoods. It really makes you wonder about the depths of manipulation and pure evil involved in those so-called civil rights movements. Now, that brings me right back to what we started this on. This uh, comparison to Marxian socialism and Fabian socialism. 
And again, to that same one sentence here, with the fundamental difference being that the Fabian society did not imagine the revolution that Marx was putting so much hope into. But instead, they focused on reforms, parliamentary initiatives, governmental legislation, the active role of the political and social institutions based on democratic values and principles, and above all, people's consciousness. These are the most effective weapons to reach social goals. And I think we see that with BLM. We see exactly what's going on because ultimately, this is how they're doing what they do. They're winning over the hearts and minds. So don't move a muscle. I want to talk about this. I also want to talk a little bit more about what's happening with uh, critical race theory, how that continues to uh, affect society. And one more thing on COVID that I want to talk about. Keep it locked. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. He's making podcasting great again. This is America with Rich Valdez. Bienvenido, America. Welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. And what I find really interesting uh, is this story that I saw in Legal Insurrection. And it, um, to me, it's one of those things that we have to put some focus on because if we don't, who will? So one of the things that I think is really important here is this focus that we have on white supremacy. Now, I think this white supremacy thing, it really goes overboard. And number one is because first, everything was racist, right? If you disagreed with me, you're racist. If you don't like this, you're a, a sexist, racist, misogynistic, homophobe. That is a racist, obviously. <laughs> and they, they've used that to death. So what, what is everything now? Everything is white supremacy now. That's the way to go. That's the go-to for absolutely every single thing. What's interesting, though, is that this whole thing has evolved into white supremacy because now everything is based on eliminating whiteness from culture, eliminating all this stuff uh, with, you know, pertaining to whiteness. And the reason I take exception to that is not because I'm white, because I'm not, but it's because this is the United States of America. This is America. And here in America, last I checked, it was a bunch of white dudes from Europe that started these colonies and fought in the revolution and then some black dudes and then the French who are more white dudes and we have America today. So when I, I, I see this elimination of whiteness, all I can think is they're trying to eliminate the history of the United States. That to me is wrong. Whatever our history is, we need to know it lest we be doomed to repeat it. The idea that the left these radicals, and it is really radical to me to try to eliminate whiteness from the United States. Imagine going to Africa and saying, there have been warlord generals that have been oppressors here in Africa, on the continent of Africa, in some 30 nations that uh, exist in Africa, maybe more. And as such, we are going to eliminate blackness from all the entire continent of Africa. How crazy would that sound? It's pure insanity. But that, in effect, is what's happening with critical race theory. So I'm looking at this piece in Law and Crime, and it says white supremacist is charged with threatening Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, AOC, and could face testimony by U.S. Capitol Police and the House Sergeant at Arms. Now, this is something that I think is interesting because there really are some white supremacists out there. 
They're not, by and large, all of the, the white people that you know. Even if they try to fool you and tell you things like, listen, if you say things like that stuff Martin Luther King talked about, well, what do you mean, Rich? Oh, I'm talking about like we're going to be judged by the content of our character, not the color of our skin. This whole colorblind thing, that's now offensive to people. The new thing is you must become an anti-racist because if you're not an anti-racist, then you're a, uh-huh. You see how they lead you down to that false equivalency, that that uh, rabbit hole? Racism is literally being redefined as we speak. But I think most of us know that when you do something um, pejorative, something negative, something detrimental towards someone because of their race, that this is racism, right? Doing something bad. Now, there's affirmative action, which, which has been called reverse racism and all these other things where you do something good to someone because of their race. People take exception to that too. And if you're like me and you believe in a meritocracy, then the focus needs to be on he who does well does well or she who does well does well. But this is – the new thing is if you're colorblind, you're already – you're ignoring racism. I'm not going to sit here and dwell on racism. I had a brief discussion with somebody and I, all I did was smile and nod. Or maybe not so much smile, but more, a lot more nodding. And they were just spewing just anger and disappointment, explaining how they were so disappointed that so many people, right of center, so many people that are part of the conservative movement, take exception to people who are insensitive towards the Holocaust, but then they themselves are insensitive towards the plight of the slave in America, all of the slaves. And I thought to myself, I know I don't. At least I, I don't believe that I do. I think that, you know, hundreds of years ago, enslaving human people, similar to what happened in the Holocaust, but different. There were no ovens. It wasn't mass graves. But dead is dead. Abuse is abuse. And I get that part. And I don't think I've ever trivialized that. I don't think when I've learned about it, it was ever trivialized. When you learn about Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad and the way people worked really hard to escape the way that men were emasculated and raped by overseers because this was a way to keep the other guys in check. If you don't want to get beaten down and publicly raped to steal your manhood, You'd better do what we say and work hard in the field and do what you got to do. And I believe the term for that is buck breaking. And if I'm wrong, let me know at Rich Valdez on Twitter, at Rich Valdez. I'm no expert in this. I'm just talking about stuff I've read. But you look at that and you think that is a horrific thing or how some of the women were abused by white men, raped, brought into the house for, for their own sexual pleasure. Horrific. The period of slavery in America is a horrible period of our history. But a part of our history, nonetheless, and one of those things that we should not erase. But to suggest that if we get away from that, where we no longer live in a, a time and a place where it's okay to buy another human on the open market, where it's okay to decide if that person lives or dies, where you are the arbiter and owner of another human, we're not there anymore. And to suggest it's somehow wrong to not want to do those things, that appalls me. We shouldn't own slaves. We shouldn't kill people. I think that this is a, this should come pretty simple, but it doesn't. 
And for someone to say, because somebody's speaking out against the Holocaust when it's close to a Holocaust Remembrance Day in Israel, and that not enough attention is pay, uh, paid to slavery, really makes me think, should we be reliving that? Or is it situational? You know, if it happens to be Holocaust Day, whatever. If it's another day where we're remembering, um, you know, never forget what happened with slavery, I, I'm, I'm with that too. But that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems to be the case that they, they want us to live this, and they, I mean the people that are pushing this agenda, mainly white liberals. And they want us to relive slavery and the atrocities of it every single day. And on top of that, they want you to pay. Pay who? I don't know. But they want reparations that seem unending. So, little tangent there. But this current story here, this guy says that, um, quote, this guy Hunt, Brendan Hunt, I just want to read you a couple of things he said. Trump, we want actual revenge on Democrats. And I don't even think he was at the January 6th thing. He just wrote these things like an idiot, and now he's getting charged for all this stuff. He works in the New York State Office of Court Administration. He says, Trump, we want actual revenge on Democrats. Hunt, who called himself X-Ray Ultra, uh, allegedly posted this on his Facebook account, which was his name, Hunt Brendan. Meaning, we want you to hold a public execution of Pelosi, AOC, Schumer, etc. And if you don't do it, the citizenry will. We're not voting in another rigged election. Start up the firing squads, mow down these commies, and let's take America back. End quote from Mr. Hunt. Now, that's pretty incendiary. I've never said anything like that. This guy was, and again, if this is taken out of context, if he was figuratively referring to a firing squad. But again, he goes out of his way to say that the firing squad seemed pretty legit because he wasn't voting in another rigged election. He goes on. Previous generations were right to be suspicious of immigrants. He allegedly wrote in a text message on November 5th, look at the mafias that were set up by the Jews, Italians, and even the Irish. New York has been completely taken over by Zionist Jews who have loyalty to Israel, not to America. So this guy Hunt is a real class A, what do we call it, douchebag? Okay, we can call him a douchebag, we can call him a racist, uh, whatever, anti-Semite, anti-American. But he's not alone. There are people that believe this stuff, and the way they get to it is by these false equivalencies, by these um, these leading questions that, in my opinion, come from foreign intelligence sources that are poisoning the well. For example, it's no surprise to me when I get to field calls at work or you know meet people or look at Twitter comments or whatever it is, and a lot of people start to be saying the same thing. It means that somebody somewhere is making a conscious effort to put a, a line of reasoning out there. And again, lots of people want to market their stuff. This is a very competitive uh, free market that we're in. I get it. But when you have call after call after call and comment after comment after comment where people, it doesn't matter what you say, they say the same thing. And it's this. At what point do we, that's already, the red flag's already going off. They've already had their mind made up. They're going after a scenario where they want to grab their guns and start some sort of revolution, a new civil war, whatever it is. They don't know if it's a revolution or a civil war. They just know violence will fix this. If we take out the trash, America will be okay. That's their thinking. And I think to myself, if you look at this guy, 
You know, I happen to uh, have a lot of respect for a Jewish man named Mark Levin. I think he's a patriot. I think he's a real value add to the body politic here in America. Yet there are people that want him dead. He gets death threats all the time from right wingers. It's not the left wing that calls saying, hey, we're going to kill you, Jew. It's it's the deep south, sad to say. You know, they don't typically sound like New Yorkers either. So my question to you, the listener, the faithful listener of This Is America, and I say faithful because I'm looking at the numbers and they keep going up and I'm thankful for that. Very thankful. And I'm also looking for you guys to post any videos, testimonies, anything you like. Somebody once told me, I was listening to your uh, fill-in for Levin on the radio. My kids enjoyed what you were saying, and they now listen to your podcast. And this guy was out of Oregon or Washington State. And I thought, man, that's awesome. So if you have a story like that or anything at all, what you like best about This Is America, what Rich Valdez, if you put a little video and put it on social media, we may include it in a little commercial that we're putting together uh, for – some activity that we're going to do with the show on the road in the next couple months. So do that and tag me on it at Rich Valdez on Parlor, at Rich Valdez on Twitter, wherever you're on social media, I'm pretty much there too. Anyway, I look at all this and again, going back to reflect on at what point this is for many, it's frustration. But for others, this is real white supremacy in action. Because when you start talking about immigration and you really mean it from the sense of immigration, we have people that are coming into the country illegally. People are cutting the line then your sentiment is not, this is the browning of America. Your sentiment is not, they're taking our culture away. Because you're not afraid to lose your culture because you're happy to be in a melting pot. But if that is your sentiment, then you've really got to check yourself and say, where? what do I base that on? Where is that coming from? Why should I be afraid of someone that speaks Spanish or that has darker skin than me? Why should I be afraid of that? But for the fact that you think that everyone should look like you. I don't think everyone should look like me. But if that's the case, you need to check where your your ideology comes from. Because white supremacy is a real thing. I criticize the left uh, and AOC for overusing this. And make no mistake, they do overuse it. Everything is white supremacy. Rich Valdez disagrees with us. That's white supremacy. But there are people that think that America should only deal with Americans. We shouldn't have any foreign trade. We shouldn't do anything. You know, if, if you – any little bit of international trade, if you sell a Washington uh, washing machine to someone in – I don't know. You pick the country, Croatia. You're now a globalist. And I think that's extreme. We are part of a global economy. We don't necessarily need to trade with China who's our enemy. We don't need to trade with our enemies to engage in global trade. We have to be judicious. We have to be smart. And that's the opposite of being stupid, which would be to cut ourselves off and isolate ourselves. And we've seen that, which is why so many people didn't like the Trump tariffs. And I, I didn't agree with them either, except for when they worked with our enemies, like China. And so it's kind of like, you know what, we're going to tax the American people if they want to desperately buy goods from our enemies. So kudos to Trump for tariffs on China. Not kudos to Trump for tariffs on Absolutely everything that he put them on because that was a a tax for us. And I'm an anti-tax guy. doesn't mean I don't love Trump. I love Trump. Bottom line here. This at to what point, what point, at what point, the minute you start thinking that there's some sort of magic point where we do things, that's when you're going off the reservation. That's when you're going off the rails. When, when you're looking for this magic jump off point, and my answer to that is always the same thing. It was in 2008 when you allowed Obama to get elected. It happened again in 2012 when you allowed him to get reelected. 
you were asleep at the wheel and were paying the price. Now his uh, his um, pragmatic grandpa, Joe El Baboso Biden, is in office. Doesn't know if he's coming or going, but knows politics like the back of his hand. Knows how to lie like the rest of them and like the best of them. This is the problem we have. So when all these people say, oh, there's no choice left but the Second Amendment, that's a damn lie. It's a damn lie. If we were going to have that type of situation, in my opinion, it just would have happened already. There's no magic thing that's going to happen where people think that Chuck Schumer is going to come knocking at your door. How are you doing? I I need your guns, please. That's not going to happen. They can try to do it through legislation. They could try to do everything. That's a, a doomsday scenario. They look carefully at the track record of the left. When was the last time they came in your face? They took away businesses. They took away schools. They took away religious liberty and minimal, minimal police or military intervention. They basically said, can I have that, please? And most people said, here you go. They don't need to come and take your guns. All they have to do is create laws and little by little dwindle. This is how the incrementalism works. You have to know how the leftist thinks. They're never going to try and wage war on people. Their whole goal is to do a heavy-handed thing. They do it. It's not. They don't even want you to see their hands. They specialize in sleight of hand. They don't want you to see what they're doing. That's why they get away with it. That's why they're successful. So I'm going to leave you with that note. I am Rich Valdez. If you stand for nothing, you will fall for anything. And remember, and that's Hamilton, Lord Acton, and Sir Edmund Burke, The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to do nothing. So I'm not making an incitement for violence. I'm making an incitement for intellect. I'm making an incitement for the enlightenment to come back so that we can be enlightened individuals and we could see what's coming. We could spot Marxism a mile away. We could sniff it out like immigrants can. Cuban immigrants, Venezuelan immigrants, Russians who lived under the Soviet Union. They smell this stuff and they go, hell no, I want no piece of that. That's where we need to be. Once we're woke and we're conscious, we can continue to do it. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. You guys know this, but we need more than just us. We have to multiply us so that there's more of us. And that's why I'm here doing what I'm doing, hoping that this will reach you and impact you in a positive way and you're willing to share it and someone else could benefit from this program. So please share it. Do what you got to do. Until next time, America. Hasta la próxima. I am Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. 